Hey guys, my name is Jacob, and welcome back to the podcast on Germany. This is episode 8, Death in Early Germany. I'm sorry about the week off, but I hope you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving. Nice little breakaway with your family. There is one thing I want to talk about before we actually begin today's episode, and that is the November challenge. We are still running it, and the reward is still up for grabs. So, if you'd like to have your subject be the podcast episode for January 8th, get your friends and family to subscribe on the website or follow us on the Facebook page. Make sure that they mention your name. Alright, with that out of the way, let's go to war. We, the POG village, located in the heart of Germania, have been called to arms. All of us carry spears and shields. Forget the armor and the swords, we're not rich enough for that. Fine, Joel and Cassie, you two can use bows and arrows. But the rest of us, we are using our spears and shields. We're going full-on traditional here. Because we are amazing and true German warriors. We have united together because of a threat. This threat is a cohort of Roman history podcast followers. Now, a Roman cohort consisted about 480 men. So we'll say that the Roman podcast has about 480 followers. What can I say? We need more followers to build our army. But come on, guys. We can do this. So our army of about 55 will attack. And we will be victorious. Our spear and shields. Our two bow and arrows. What do the Romans have? Only outfitted heavy armor, large shields, swords, javelins. Ha! Huh. That's not gonna stop us, is it? No! We attack, we take on about nine soldiers each, because hey, we at the POV village are extremely loyal and savage players. Watch as we charge in, all of us screaming causing the Roman podcast listeners to quake in their boots. The shields clash. The forlorn battle cry is heard on this day. And after a few minutes, we all die. Well, what did you expect? Going in to take on a Roman cohort with only a village worth of warriors? I hope none of you thought we were going to win that fight. It just wasn't going to happen. Our tactics, everything that we learned about last week, shows us that our 55 attackers can't really kill nine men at once. We're not sort of made to fight overwhelming odds. We've been built around the idea of one-on-one combat. And one-on-nine, that's that's a little bit too impossible for us to deal with. But let's say not all of us fell. Maybe some, probably Cassie and Joel... And a few others were able to sneak out as they realized that, hey, you can't really take on nine well-armed and trained soldiers and expect to win when all you got is a spear and a shield. So these lucky few flee the field. They're able to sneak off and they wait for the cohort to leave. Now the cohort are probably shocked at the bravery of the POG village. And give us the respect that we deserve. Well, what our slain bodies deserve. I mean, hopefully. Hopefully they're not as bad as, historically, 
enemies have been bad with one another. Anywho, the survivors wait for the cohort to go on their merry way, and then they come to collect those who fell in battle. They're able to gather us up, take us back to their village, and now it's time to put us to rest. Maybe someday the POG village can get revenge, but today is a day of mourning. So now that you've fallen, what can you expect in your early German burial? Well, first of all, you're not just going to be chucked into the dirt. Because actually, inhumation, the burial of the body, isn't that common for the early Germans. Cremation actually serves as the main form of burial for most of the tribes and the villages in this area. In fact, the first known inhumation of the early Germans doesn't appear until about the 100s BC in Scandinavia. For the early Germans, the state of your body was not important as cremations leave nothing but your ashes, typically mixed in with the remains of the fire. So, when they bring the bodies away from the field, there's probably going to be a couple of bonfires going. Now, it does not end there. Can you think of some of the difficulties that we as historians and archaeologists would have with cremation burials? What problems do they present to us when we're trying to study this past? Well, think about this. If you bury a body in the ground, we can dig it up much later on. and We still can learn things from the body. We can still learn things from the bones if there's no flesh left. We can learn a lot more if there is flesh. But we can learn quite a few basic things from the bones themselves. We can get an understanding of diet, of probable age. We can get an understanding of the gender, maybe even a little bit of their social wealth. There's a lot more we can learn from an inhumation than a cremation, because the cremation is just the ashes. Everyone, when their body is burnt, to ashes looks the same. Male, female, age, doesn't doesn't change in your ashes. So with cremations, it gets really hard to tell anything about that person just from the ashes. We also have the problem that what if there's a massive loss? Take our village, the POG. We just suffered a major defeat. Maybe they don't have the room or the materials for all the dead. Maybe there's a couple of combinations going on. There's no way for us to tell. Hopefully, someone's not cheating and putting two bodies of ashes in the same urn. We have no way of knowing. Nothing's written down for us. Cremation damages our understanding of the early Germans because it just leaves very little for us to look at. However, luckily for us, the early Germans do not stop with cremation. There are other parts of their burial rites. We are extremely lucky because of this. Once turned to ashes, the remains are typically taken to these extensive flat cemeteries that can be found throughout the early German area. And some of these will eventually contain thousands of graves. So they'll be very, very popular. And they will last for a long time. Now, the ashes are not just thrown into a pile and left but instead they're placed in an urn, typically made of a metal, or, if they can't afford that, a wooden or cloth container. Now, with big amounts of losses, just like the POG village suffered, or if someone of higher status 
we will see funeral pyres being used. But for the average German, the urn is the typical pick. The ashes would be placed in its own part of the cemetery, and then items would be left to honor the status and the memory of the lost loved one. Pottery, small ornaments, and cheap jewelry, plus the occasional knife, are typical grave goods that we can find next to these urns. All these items have to be affordable so that the families can afford to leave them in the grave. These aren't items they're getting back at a later date. If anything, the only time these items will be brought back into humanity will be through grave robbing. A lot of times, we actually see offerings of food and drink. Now, these could be traditional foods, or they could be favorite foods of the person. So, you know, for me, this would be sweet tea and tacos. Now, occasionally, just occasionally, we do see weapons or tools in the graves. These would be examples of higher social statuses and wealth than the typical early German, because most early Germans could not afford to just let a priceless weapon or tool be lost in that way. They have to be passed down every generation. Now, as we build on German and Roman relations, we will see more and more of these rich burials, but at this point, they're extremely rare. In fact, if you take a look at pre-Roman burials and after contact with the Roman burials, while well, we do have quite a few differences, first, more inhumations start to happen. More what we would consider typical burials start popping up in Germany. The large, flat cemeteries of the previous generations are traded out for a much more linear and rectangle cemetery. And one of the biggest differences that we see is the massive amount of wealth that's shown in a burial that separates the upper-class Germans from the average German. These are easily noticeable because in the beginning, some of the jewelry might be a little bit better there might be slightly more grave goods for the tribe's leader. Now, we're starting to see gold. We're starting to see swords. We're seeing a full face mask. We're seeing all of this wealth poured into the graves because the nobles can afford it. While the average German is still putting in typically the same stuff. Pottery, small ornaments, cheap jewelry, and knives. Things that they can afford to let go. The one thing that is a constant between the early Germans and the Roman time Germans is the lack of monuments. The early Germans do not build elaborate monuments to their dead like we do. There are no mausoleums. There are no statues. There's nothing. You get buried in the ground with your goods, and that is it. So, we talked about how wealth is shown in the grave, and it's really not. We may be able to tell that someone's slightly richer than someone else because there's a little bit more jewelry, there's a little bit better detailed items left inside the graves, but overall there's not that much difference. That comes later with the Romans. What about gender? For the POG army, we have a good mix of women. What would their burials be compared to the male? Well, we do have a few cemeteries. We believe we're separated into genders. So, for instance, the women would be buried on the left side, the men to the right. And we have guessed that some women probably were buried with jewelry as a sign of wealth. However, because the majority of these are cremations, 
there's just no way to be sure. The signs of jewelry at a grave do not necessarily mean it is a woman that is buried there. Throughout history, and even in modern times, women are not the only ones who have jewelry. I, for instance, wear a ring and wear a necklace. Men love their jewelry too. With inhumations, we can tell genders a little bit easier because we can look at the hip bones. But again, that's still not always foolproof, because some women are larger than some men. So with gender, it's really hard to tell. What about age? Some of our listeners may be younger than the average warrior. Well, for you guys, there's even less information. We don't see much evidence of child burials, and almost none of infants. During the Roman age, we will see a couple more child burials of the rich and noble class. But for the early Germans, they're almost impossible to find. Why? Why do you think that's a thing? Why are there no children being buried? Well, it could be that we have found children. But because of the cremation process, we don't know that they are children. There's nothing in the burial goods to signify that these are kids. It could be that the early Germans did not consider you worthy enough of a traditional burial until you were proven as an adult. Getting through the early years is always the most dangerous part of a human's life. You have no immunities to disease or sickness. You are extremely weak and cannot fend for yourself. There's no chance of you to go hunting after a couple weeks. You need years. There's no way for you to cook for yourself. You need someone to help you. You have no ingrained knowledge of the world around you. You don't come out of the womb and automatically know that those berries from that bush over there are poisonous. You shouldn't eat them. All of this adds up to a low survivability rate in the first decade of your life. Now, if you made it to your teen years, your lifespan increases. And by the time you reach your 20s, you're pretty safe until old age or war gets you. You just have to get there. So those who pass at a young age may not have been considered part of the tribe yet. Maybe the deaths of the young ones were just so common that it was impossible to give them proper burials. Or they could have been given a burial and we just we don't have any evidence about it. Burials fall under the same issues that religion do when it comes to these early Germans. With nothing written down, it's hard for us to form a clear picture of what's going on. So there you have it. We're buried. We've been burned. Probably together on a bonfire, because there were so many of us lost. And someone left me some sweet tea and tacos. For others, there's turkey. For some, pizza. You know your favorite foods. Your family hopefully knows your favorite foods. And they will have honored your memory by putting that out there for you. Maybe a couple of your favorite items are with you as well. And for a while, there's going to be a mourning period. Now, some of our sources, especially when we're dealing with later barbarians from the north, talk about drinking as being part of the mourning period, getting drunk, joining the dead in this feeling of limbo, of moving from this world to the next. However, those sources come from a long time away from now. And we can't trust that what those people were doing is the exact same thing that these early Germans were doing. 
So for now, all we can say about the people in the villages is that they're mourning. But life has to move on. The POG village has to revive itself and prepare for a new day. The people can't just sit there and constantly think of what is lost. Remember, they're always on the edge of collapse. They have to make sure the crops are brought in, so that way they have food for another year. And who knows, maybe someday they'll get their revenge. The Romans won this fight, but they can't win them all. Someday, the POG will have its revenge. Alright, so that will do it for today's episode. I know it's kind of short, but this combined with military tactics was going to be way too long of an episode. So I figured instead we would split them up into two short episodes, rather than forcing you to listen to one giant one. Join in next week as we deal with the early Germans and the Gauls. We're going to be discussing trade, political relations, and of course, warfare. I hope you guys are looking forward to it. I am. And I hope you have a great week. I'll see you guys next Tuesday.